Welcome to Flirting with Bitcoin. I'm your host, Mandana Yousefi, and this is my boo, Ian Reese. Hey, babe. Hola. Konnichiwa. Buongiorno. <laughs> I heard today is a special day. Yeah, today is August 21st. And that's special in the Bitcoin world because... So, you know, I have my hat that's like infinity over 21 million. I've seen it. Yeah, <laughs> Ian wears that hat every single day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you look at the date, it's 8 for August mm-hmm. over 21. Mm-hmm. So August 21st is infinity day. And again, that means... So like the fundamental like idea behind Bitcoin is that the value of Bitcoin is derived from all of the things that can be printed. So there's infinite amount of money that can be printed being divided by 21 million Bitcoin. Yeah. So August 21st, baby. Bitcoin day. Yeah. And it's another one of those like Bitcoiner cultural things. No one else is celebrating <laughs> August 21st. We today. should have thrown a party. I mean, maybe you next tell year. Me. He literally just told me this morning. <laughs> Well, I forgot because, you know. Damn, what kind of Bitcoiner are you? I didn't think we were going to record on this day, so I kind of forgot the day. <laughs> um, but then this morning when I saw the calendar, I was like, oh, it's, yeah. it's Infinity Day. But what block kite is it right now in real time as we record? <laughs> um, so right now the block height is 750.460, which is actually a big deal because we crossed over 750. So 750,000 blocks have been mined since the day that Bitcoin was initiated. Is that a big deal? Why is that a big deal? So, you know, there's like a lot of sayings in the Bitcoin world. You know, there's not your keys, not your coin. Mm-hmm. So another one is uh, TikTok next block. Okay. And what it's basically saying is it doesn't really matter what else is happening. Bitcoin is going to produce another block in 10 minutes or less. Yeah, haters going to hate. Doesn't matter. Like government's going to block. Governments will come and go, right? Like scams will come and go. Right, is it blocks are going to stack? <laughs> Maybe that's better. Stackers are going to stack. Stackers going to stack. Yeah. Holders um, going to hold. Exactly, right? Like so crossing over 750 is kind of a big milestone because statistically it wasn't supposed to happen, right? Like Bitcoin shouldn't exist. Mm. Everyone's been trying to keep it down. But here we are, 750,000 blocks later, still going. We still here, baby. 99.99999 uptime. So how much is an acre on Bitcoin Island today? Is it still a steal? You can get 4,659 acres for a dollar. You hear that? It's on sale today, guys. It's always on sale. <laughs> it's always on sale. You just got to know what you're buying. All right, so with that said, like, let's first talk about what's going on in the crypto world, and then we'll get into specifically what's happening with Bitcoin. But I know there are things that are happening with Ethereum still because, you know, this weekend as we were socializing, hanging out with people, Ethereum was coming up a lot in conversation. <laughs> I didn't get too involved in them because, like, still, what do I know? But uh, uh, I know that uh, people are still trying to make Ethereum happen. There's a lot of moneyed interest in getting ethereum to continue to exist but there's also a lot of really smart people that have been doing a lot of analysis on ethereum over the past week since they've announced the merge Mm -hmm. right now they've announced the merge and they've announced how it's going to go down people can actually like critique the plan so i'll put it on the website but there's like a really good video where this guy broke down it's like an hour-long video but he broke down like this is not going to work all right so a lot of people aren't going to watch that why is this not going to (laughs) work 
That's why they only want to listen to our 30-minute pod, babe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm going to get into it. I'm going to get into it. But the reason why I'm saying the length of it was that, like, it is point by point by point. Yeah. And he did that for an hour. Yeah. Right? But like, the general idea... The evidence is there. The evidence is there. Yeah. Right? And the general idea is that Ethereum is stuck between a rock and a hard place. You know, last week we talked about this tornado cash incident that happened, right? Where the Dutch authorities arrested this developer and they like blacklisted all of these Ethereum addresses, Mm -hmm. right? What has happened since is that somebody just being a troll wrote a script to basically send Ethereum to a bunch of people from tornado cash, even though they didn't want it. Oh, So one of the wallets that they sent this Ethereum to from Tornado Cash is basically the wallet for Ethereum development. So like the address for Ethereum development is technically blacklisted now. (laughs) Oh, snap. Just because a troll wanted to expose how easily it is to be blacklisted. Exactly. Ah. Right. And so like, so anybody who receives money through Tornado Cash is a criminal. Mm -hmm. Boom. I'll send it to you. Yeah. Right. Okay. So they're stuck between a rock and a hard place because you have, you know, in Bitcoin, you have miners, right? Mm -hmm. In Ethereum, you have the validators. It's the same concept, but it's a little different. The validators are very similar to Bitcoin miners in that it's proof of work. This merge is trying to take everything to proof of stake. And what that means is that it's not like a random guess like in Bitcoin for miners and like randomly someone wins. Mm -hmm. The amount of Ethereum that you have staked basically puts the thumb on the scale of whether or not you're going to be the person who mines this block. So like if you have a large stake, you're going to validate more blocks. If you validate more blocks, you're going to earn more fees in in Ethereum. And if you earn more fees, you're just going to start building up your stack faster than everyone else. So a small validator can't catch up. It's like a huge barrier to entry. But there's other barriers to entry also. So the other barrier to entry is that in order to be a validator, you have to have at least 32 Ethereum. Mm-hmm. So there was a period of time a couple years ago where Ethereum was like $100. Mm-hmm. And so if you had $3,200, you could have bought the 32 Ethereum you needed to be a validator. Today, it's like $50,000. And in Bitcoin, you don't need anything. You just got started. You can. I mean, no, I mean, like it costs money in Bitcoin also. Like you need a miner, mm-hmm. right? But technically, you could run a miner on your laptop. Right. You're not going to make much Bitcoin. Right. But you could do that. But with Ethereum, there's this other cost, which is... Well, you need to bring 32 Ethereum to the table. Most people don't have 32 Ethereum. So now your validators are only going to be the people that have enough Ethereum to be a validator. Only people that are going to be validators are people like Coinbase. Yeah, people like Coinbase who then have to play ball with governments who say, block these people, these people can't play in this game. Exactly. And then you get the current financial system that we have now. So like, why are we even doing this? Exactly. So if we're boiling down that hour long video into one sentence, it's all Ethereum is trying to do is replace the US Treasury and the Fed and Jerome Powell (laughs) with Ethereum and Vitalik Buterin and Joe Lubin. You're welcome, guys. I saved you an hour of your life. Yeah. But the short of it is that, like, the merge is doomed to fail. There's a series of reasons why it's going to fail. And even if it's successful, at the end of it, all you have done is replace our current overlords with new overlords. And no one has made any progress. And I assume the Bitcoin community is like, see, see, I told you so. Why are we doing this? Just use Bitcoin. It's not looking good. Um, We'll see how it plays out, but it's not looking good. And the fact that 
they're not allowing withdrawals after this merge because it's a future feature, that's just not a good look, right? right? So they've basically locked up a bunch of people's money and they're they're not giving a time frame when they're going to give it back. And they might never give it back. And they probably won't give it they're back. They're struggling this much. They might go bankrupt like Celsius. Well, Ethereum can't go bankrupt. They could stop development. People could stop supporting it. But Ethereum as it is, like, it can't really go bankrupt. Maybe it could go to zero. But Coinbase could go bankrupt. Mm. And if Coinbase is where you, like myself, have staked some of your ETH and they go bankrupt, not your keys, not your coins. Yeah. Like, that's just gone. Yeah. Right. And so. But do you think Coinbase could go bankrupt? Because, like, even the last episode, we talked about how BlackRock is teaming up with them. Like, they have a lot going on. And maybe as long as they have Bitcoin, they'll be okay. It's not that I think Coinbase will go bankrupt. I think Coinbase will continually do what's ever in Coinbase's interest to make money. Mm-hmm. And so, if that means complying with a bunch of draconian like regulations, mm. they're going to do it. Yeah, because they have shareholders. Exactly. Yeah. And so like when people are analyzing like Ethereum and saying all these things about how it's going to be better than a Bitcoin and it's going to be money and all this fun stuff, you can't make those statements and then be true while at the same time being more censorable than today's system, right? That doesn't get us towards more freedom. That gets us towards less freedom. And so once they get captured like in a regulatory framework, they're stuck, mm-hmm. right? And so Bitcoin can't be captured because any rules or regulations you pass in the United States, well, we just move all the miners to somewhere else and all the transactions get validated there. And even if Coinbase wanted to comply with some crazy draconian rules and they had Bitcoin miners as well, yeah, they could, sure, they could filter out those transactions that someone told them not to to uh, to process, but that doesn't mean that those transactions aren't going to get processed. Right. They're just not going to be able to process They're losing them. the business. They're going to lose the business, right? Right. And so, like, that's the difference between Bitcoin and Ethereum is one has an incentive structure to play ball and the other one says, well, I'll just take the ball and go somewhere else. Yeah, I never wanted to play with you. <laughs> never wanted to play with you. Right, right, right. So that's like the big one in like the crypto world. And that's probably going to be going on for the next month. So we'll probably we'll probably keep talking about it and give like quick updates. But for the most part, until something major happens with Ethereum again, just know the merge is coming and it's probably going to be bad. Yeah. I do wonder, though, like how much does this impact people's opinions about Bitcoin? Because I saw something recently um, from someone who talks a lot about the U.S. economy, like progressives really follow him. Um, And he was saying how crypto is a huge scam that's hurting a lot of Americans, that a lot of Americans are losing a lot of money from it. And of course, he lumped Bitcoin into it. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder, like, if Ethereum is really exposed as this, like, volatile or scam, whatever, people are going to lump that up with Bitcoin. And then it's just like a continued delayed adoption or hesitation of Bitcoin, which, like, I know you say you got Bitcoin at the price you deserve, but it's... I do think that this could lend to more Bitcoin bashing. 100%. It's definitely not going to be great for Bitcoin if the merge goes poorly and more people get sanctioned and like a bunch Mm -hmm. of bad things happen, right? But the thing that separates Bitcoin from all of that is that's just what someone is saying. If you actually go read a book and do some research, you find out very quickly that the people that are saying those things are at best uninformed and at worst are directly lying to your face. Mm -hmm. And once you make that realization, you just don't listen to those people anymore. 
So they can say all the bad things they want about Ethereum and lump Bitcoin in with Ethereum. But if you actually know what's going on, you're just like, oh, that person's a liar. Yeah. Or they haven't done their homework. My favorite thing when people are trying to talk to Ian about stuff, it doesn't even have to be Bitcoin. He'll just go false. <laughs> not true. False. That's not true. <laughs> and people will be like, but but what about this? But what about that? That's not true. <laughs> yeah. Like if you say something that I know is structurally false, I'm just going to say that's not true. Yeah. Or that's false. And why do I even have to explain to you why it's right. false? Right. And then it's like, you make me explain that it's true. It's like, no, you can disagree if I think it's false. But if you don't go verify what I said, well, then one day you're going to realize what you said was false. And you're going to be like, man, I should have listened. Mm-hmm. Or at least should have read a book. I should have listened to Ian. The thing about Bitcoin that is so awesome. People think they know what they're talking about and you're just like, false. What I read, nope, that's wrong. But I thought, it doesn't matter what you thought. That's not true. That's not how this works. Here's all the things you can go read to understand this. But until you go read those things, you can't say that anymore. And if you say it, know that what you're saying is not correct. But if you choose to go keep saying that, that's on you, Right. And so a lot of people, they want to fight against the truth. They want to fight against reality because they want the reality to be that it's a scam. They want, they don't want it to be that, oh, I could have bought this thing at $100 and mm-hmm. now it's at 20000 and, oh, I missed out on the opportunity of my lifetime. No, they want it to be a scam. That's what they hope for. It benefits them, even though Bitcoin would still benefit them more and it's not too late to get in. Exactly. And so, yeah, I think people just, they don't want it to be true because... If it's true, then a lot of things that they thought were true are really false. One of them is that printing money never is a good thing. And that's a thing that I find so many people struggling with. I was hanging out with my friend last night and he just thinks that, well, we've been printing money for a while and things have gotten better for people. Have they? Well, that's my point. (laughs) It's like, well, objectively, yes, things have gotten better for people, but also like gas is $5, eggs are $4, like... Things are just unexpensive and unattainable for an increasingly larger number of people. And that has everything to do with printing money. And everything they say that's like trying to give you some other explanation is false. It's simply because they print money. I think this conversation then like brings us into what you want to talk about today, which is Bitcoin education. Yeah. So Bitcoin education is a very important part of Bitcoin in general. Michael Saylor, one of the big you know, big Bitcoin personalities. Mm -hmm. He's had a program that he's been running for a while called Sailor Academy, where you can get all kinds of degrees and stuff like that. Uh, But this past week, they added a very interesting course to that curriculum called Monetary History. The guy who put the course together wrote this book that basically was the book that was like one of the first like aha moments for me. Mm. Well, all right, babe, let's get into it. I think Bitcoin education is really interesting because there's no like college course that you could take, I don't think, or degree that you can do as a major in uh, an accredited university in America right now where you're getting a degree in Bitcoin. I don't know about getting a degree, but MIT had some classes back in 2018. And Gary Gensler, the current chairman of the SEC, actually taught some of those classes. Okay, so it's creeped into academia. It's in academia a little bit. All right, all right. But as far as like getting a degree in Bitcoin, like I don't think that (laughs) exists anywhere, technically, except for maybe El Salvador. Okay. They have started that curriculum in El Salvador. 
I don't know all the details of the program, but like a couple months ago, they ran this um, this course and people graduated from it and got a certificate saying that they like graduated this Bitcoin course in El Salvador. And they understand what it is. They understand what it is. <laughs> and so, you know, El Salvador, it seems like is trying to build, for lack of a better term, like a Silicon Valley type industry of people who understand this new technology called Bitcoin. I don't have that certificate from El Salvador. I've never even been to El Salvador. Mm -hmm. I think most of the people, all the people that graduated were, you know, El Salvadorians, but the people who were teaching the classes weren't. Mm -hmm. So like people came into El Salvador to like teach the local El Salvadorians Bitcoin, like philosophy and all this stuff about Bitcoin. But then they treated it like a college course and they gave out like certificates. So it's like they're building credentials for bitcoin <laughs> but with that you don't need something like that you've been doing your own research you've been buying books you spend hours on youtube you do so much research you've been trying to connect a lot of dots to what bitcoin means for other parts of like civilization mm -hmm. so it you don't necessarily need formal education when it comes to bitcoin you do not need formal education when it comes to bitcoin so oh. talk about that because like fun fact ian didn't go to college I did. I have a master's degree, but Ian is in older life, right? I don't know. Are we middle-aged yet? <laughs> well, you'll know when I'm middle-aged, depending on when I die. It's like academia, <laughs> I think, burned me out while Ian is just like every day, I don't know, every few days, a new book you know, comes on our porch that you've ordered and you sit and you read it and you're like, ah, this was really good. I, I get it more. So like, talk about that. Talk to us about um, how you have been trying to educate yourself around this and what that, I guess, like curriculum that you've made for yourself looks like. I think curriculum is a very interesting way of putting it because it's really just going where my curiosity takes me. You know, I, I say this a lot on the podcast, like I didn't come in as like a diehard Bitcoiner, right? I just came in curious and I kind of just kind of watched everything play out as I was learning. And yeah, because the first time someone told you about Bitcoin, you were like, I don't know about that. And then like years later, you got back into it, right? I mean, well, no, like when Bitcoin first, first came out, I did like run some stuff on my computer. I did a little bit of mining and I got some Bitcoin, but I didn't see any value in it. And I just lost it. You know, I could have been that guy trying to dig a hard drive out mm -hmm. of a, a, a garbage dump. Right. Um, but then the second time that I came around to it was when one of my friends texted me. I said that we should start a Bitcoin mining company. And I said very bluntly, I don't know anything about that. And I feel like I'm his technical friend, but I was like, I can't help you. But that did definitely like send me down a path of like learning more because he's a really smart guy. And I was like, if if he's interested in this and he's thinking about starting a business around it, like I got to be able to talk to him about this because he's one of my smartest friends. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be dumb about something that he's interested in. And once I started looking at it, there was just more questions than answers. And a lot of it was just like, well, that can't be true. That can't be true. Like, well, if that's true, then that means you can't do this, right? So like, like, where were you looking for information? Because I think if you do a quick Google search, you could see a lot of supposedly very smart people discrediting it. I think that's one of the main problems with like Bitcoin education is that it is very hard to sift through like the FUD versus like the actual educational informational stuff. But it really started with books. You know, I talk about this one book a lot, The Bitcoin Standard, written by Saifedean. Um, it wasn't the first book that I read, but it definitely was the book that was like, there's something unique and special about Bitcoin that's different from all these other things. 
And so I just kind of like started shifting my time from like 50-50 to like 60-40 to 70-30. And the more I did research on Bitcoin, the more I realized that everything else wasn't even worth my time to even understand how it works. So like that was a good resource for you. But then looking at other dialogue around Bitcoin, and I think you've been better about only focusing and consuming content from actual Bitcoiners, but there's like a lot of people out there in the crypto world that are also for Bitcoin, but they're not separating Bitcoin from other crypto and they're kind of lumping it all together and they're not really lending it to the idea of like the Bitcoin standard, right? They're just like crypto's the future. And so how do you break through against that noise, which I think that's the type of noise that a lot of economic thought leaders right now will just lump all of those things together. I I really hate the status quo. Like, I I just I hate that concept. I hate people that are like, oh, things are good as they are. And like, why would you want to? Or what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Right. And so I see a lot of people being anti Bitcoin because they think it's not going to work. And they're anti Bitcoin because they're so certain that like, well, if it is going to like upset the apple cart or whatever, they'll just shut it down. And that was like a big thing that I ran into in the beginning. And it was it made a lot of sense. It's like there's no way this thing will be allowed to exist. They will just shut it down. They shut down everything else that we liked. They shut down BitTorrent. (laughs) They shut down Pirate Bay. Right. There's this website I used to be able to get any TV show in the world I wanted from. They shut that down, right? Like they shut down. They've been shutting down stuff since I've been on the internet. And so here's this other thing that's money. Mm -hmm. There's no way they're not going to shut this down. But as you learn about Bitcoin and you realize, oh my God, they can't shut this down. They must be losing their minds. Mm -hmm. And And then it's exciting. It's like juicy. And then it's like (laughs) good. (laughs) good scare these people because they have been destroying the world economy for over 50 years by printing money and just having reckless abandon for what the consequences are they create some crisis and then they print some money to solve it they siphon some funds off the top all of a sudden nancy pelosi's got another jet and everyone's just like what are you gonna do yeah at least she's not a republican exactly right so with bitcoin once i truly understood like they can't shut it down and no one can make more of it it's like the most fair game on the planet right now you know i was we were talking this weekend and i said you know it's like the ultimate um point system right like you would get uh, airline miles or whatever points right it's like it's the ultimate point system your points transfer anywhere in the world and no one can decide that they're expired exactly (laughs) right put their worth and so like i think people understand that i think people understand the idea that like there's all these like little shitty games that they make us play okay but going back to like the education piece of it it you know bitcoin is rebellious Let's paint it that way. Like, who are these rebellious people that are coming out there to say, like, hey, I'm a credible source of information for Bitcoin. Here is a curriculum, a course, a video that you can watch that's going to tell you what Bitcoin is. And it's very funny that I'm asking this because I know we have a podcast about Bitcoin, but we're not out here giving certificates. So I feel like we're, yeah. you know, we're like the softer side of Bitcoin education. Um, but let's talk about the more, like, supposed legitimate sources of bitcoin education i think one of the best like courses out there right now it's not really a course but it's a collection of essays and like things you could read to really like dive deep but it's all in one spot it's called bitcoin canon 
Um, it's done by Swan Bitcoin, which is like a Bitcoin only exchange, right? And Swan's like really big into like producing content. They're not just about like helping you get Bitcoin. They're all about Bitcoin adoption. They're then. all about Bitcoin mm-hmm. adoption, right? And so Swan, I want to say like sometime last year, maybe early this year, put this together. And it's just like a series of essays that you can read. It, it breaks down the energy FUD that you might hear. Mm-hmm. It breaks down the privacy FUD. Like there's all these like really great articles written by really smart people before this site existed. Like a lot of these were already written. They just mm-hmm. kind of compiled them. When I started reading some of these things by these smart people, like these people that objectively I didn't know were smart, right? Mm-hmm. But after I read this, I was like, that's a smart person. Yeah. Like that person put a lot of thought, time into explaining this very complicated thing. It's a repository, but you still need to use your critical thinking lens of like reading the content and assessing for yourself whether or not this is credible information or if it's like provoking thought, those types of things. I would argue that everything on Bitcoin Canon is thought provoking. Even if you're a 100% like this is never going to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys are crazy. Magic internet money. <laughs> like reading these, you definitely have to come away with like, uh, there might be something here. And if you don't come away with that, have fun staying poor. <laughs> okay, so that is a collection of essays. But what about what Sailor University, is that what it's called, is doing? Yeah, so Sailor University, it's not Bitcoin specific, right? So, uh, sorry, it's Sailor Academy. Um, but like, it's not Bitcoin specific. But Sailor Academy is like this pseudo online college where you can take all kinds of classes. That's completely free. It's completely free. Mm-hmm. I think there might be some cost maybe for some of the tests you can take mm-hmm. because what they're trying to do is make a thing that you're, some of these these classes like transfer to other colleges, right? And on the website, you can see the colleges that are at least part of the affiliate program mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, so it's mostly free um, as far as I can tell. But they added this particular class called Monetary History, and it's specifically by a Bitcoiner, right? Mm-hmm. They put the course together, and it's basically, you know, it's pretty much a book review of his book. <laughs> um, but the book was really good. Yeah, I'm reading like uh, the first line of the course introduction. It says the international monetary system is on the precipice of change. Yes. And the book that, I, that he wrote that I'm referencing is called Layered Money. And we talked about this very early on in the podcast, probably like the first three or four episodes. But Layered Money was like the second book made me go, oh, Bitcoin is special. Mm-hmm. Right. And so his name is Nick Batia. He has like his own like social media presence and stuff like that. He has a stack, a sub stack and stuff like that. He writes. But that book, once I read that book, I just started following him because I was like, that guy's smart. And I guess he's a professor of like money or something at USC or whatever. Just, Maybe economics. <laughs> uh, yeah, but whatever. But like, professor of money. But like you could tell that like he's yeah, been studying yeah. this for a very long time. And so then the question always comes up, especially when you're in the Bitcoin, when you're learning these, you know, education and about Bitcoin, you get, you learn like these very interesting facts that I can honestly say like, I've never heard anyone say that before. Yeah, and I, you know, this takes me back to my master's program because I I have a master's degree in public policy with a focus of public finance. And I remember having classes where I just fundamentally disagreed with what the professor was teaching me. And there's there's kind of like a dead end to that conversation when you disagree with your professor. They'll just be like, nope, this is how it is. And even if you're calling them out on something that's just their ideology and there's no fact in it. And economics, it's really hard to... It's really hard to push that conversation any further. I'm so curious to see how many other professors there are in the economic space in this country that's even giving Bitcoin a real chance. 
mm-hmm. let alone admitting to the problems of the current monetary systems instead of trying to explain to the students like how to game the system, which is really what they're teaching you in these programs. They're not saying like we have a better option or this is why this is going to fail. So I'm really interested to see like in a couple of years how all this plays out, especially if this is a free source of education, right? Like there's no barrier to entry to being taught this by I'm assuming a very credible and maybe powerful professor, at least powerful in the Bitcoin space, right? Yeah. So that's the beauty of like Bitcoin is there's no institution that you have to go to to be considered a Bitcoiner, mm-hmm. right? Like you don't have to go to college to learn all of these things. You don't have to go to college to have a podcast where you teach people about Bitcoin. <laughs> I mean... You do have to read a lot of books. You do, yeah. And I would argue that I've read a lot of books that I know a lot of my friends who went to college have never heard of and never Mm -hmm. read. Yeah. And so one of the things that you were just talking about, like your econ professor or whatever, right? Like one of the things that I discovered in Bitcoin is there's like a whole other like school of economic thought. And that argument that you were having with your professor, there's hundreds of books that will win that argument with your professor. But he'll never put it on but the he'll syllabus. Never put it on the, he'll never put it on the syllabus. He'll never tell you about it. Yeah. And he probably doesn't even know about it. Right. Right? Because he has been successful. He's blocking it out. Well, even worse. Like, he's been successful in this system. And mm-hmm. this current system does not incentivize you to go learn and read about Austrian economics. Yes. And if he one day came out and spoke up and said, I was, I've been wrong. Mm -hmm. I was completely wrong. This is what we should be focusing on. This is what we should be studying. This is the future. Mm -hmm. He might get blacklisted. Maybe. But Saifedean, Mm -hmm. who wrote the Bitcoin standard, is and was an economic professor. And he has basically taken his professorial skills and made a website and he teaches small batch classes to people who want to actually learn something and not just get a degree from a prestigious school. So you guys hear that? Bitcoin lets you think for yourself. It lets you think for yourself. You don't have to, you're not told who the smartest person in the room is. You have to go find the smartest person in the room. And they're all over the internet and they're all ready and willing and able to like dump as much information on you as you are willing to receive. And so with Sailor Academy, by adding this monetary history course, I truly believe that book sped up my Bitcoin understanding by at least a year, easily. And one of the most fundamental things in that book was he has like this pyramid diagram. And he's showing like in the current monetary system, in theory, gold sits at the bottom of the financial pyramid. And then you have like bonds and stocks and all kinds of stuff on top of it. And what a lot of people are, have been arguing about Bitcoin is that, well, Bitcoin kind of sits at the top of that pyramid as some new form of like monetary exchange technology, but it's not backed by anything on this pyramid because it needs gold at the bottom. But it doesn't. When in actuality, <laughs> it's gold. When in actuality, Bitcoin is at the bottom of a brand new pyramid. Mm. And once I had that like frame in my head, then everything made sense yeah. because it's like that's why lightning is so powerful because lightning is built on top of that gold that bitcoin gold layer right and so when bitcoiners talk about like the bitcoin blockchain is layer one and then lightning is layer two right gold is the current monetary's blockchain <laughs> and then on top of that sits we'll just call it checking accounts or like you know but i'm it's more complex than that but mm-hmm. like 
the fundamental like blockchain of the existing system is gold. So like that was the frame that he put it in. And once I read that, it was like a really small book, maybe 200, 300 pages. But I just was like, let's go. And I started consuming so much more Bitcoin only content after I read that book. All right, guys, let's go. You know, it's really interesting for me. I don't know for what reason, but when you really started explaining Bitcoin to me, I got it really quickly. And when you come to me and you talk about different things that help make Bitcoin click more for you, it it isn't something that I need much convincing on. And a lot of times I'm like, yeah, that, that clicked for me too. I already put that together. And it might just be my academic background. I don't know what it is um, and the beef that I had with <laughs> what I was being taught. Um, but it is really interesting that if like you have hesitations about uh, you know, really embracing Bitcoin. And I'll say I'm still flirting with it. You know, you're the one that's all in and I'm just kind of riding those coattails. But I think there is a lot of people out there that are trying to teach the different sides of Bitcoin. And I hope today's episode, I hope today's conversation helped people uh, connect some of those dots and know like know where to get the resources that they need for themselves or maybe their business partners, their spouses, their life partner, who family members that really are arguing with them about Bitcoin and saying like, no, this isn't going to work. Yeah. So the big thing about Bitcoin and like Bitcoin education, and I think this is another reason why, you know, a lot of people today have a hard time like being educated is that a lot of Bitcoin knowledge is written in long form. Mm -hmm. Like you have to read essays that are multiple paragraphs, multiple hundreds of words. Mm -hmm. And we just don't have a lot of people that have that capability. Short attention spans. Short attention spans. And so a lot of this stuff is so complex that like, you know, we joke about like, oh, all these other Bitcoin podcasts are so long. Well, some of that's just a lot of back and forth that doesn't need to be there. But a lot of it is like, this is some really complex stuff. To ex- well, it takes a lot of words to explain something that's actually very simple, but this is all new to everybody. It's all new to everyone, and it's almost too simple. And yeah. because of that, it's not able to really combat the complexities of our current systems. And I think from there, if you have the energy and the patience to have those conversations with people, you should. And having those you know three-hour podcasts where people are able to flush out those conversations really help other people have conversations with people in the street because bitcoiners are very nice they want they want everyone to win right everyone can win um but we do need to get to a place i think where people take that responsibility for themselves and if they're not getting it they need to take an extra minute or two or 30 and Uh, just read a little bit more and use that critical lens and maybe discount some of the things that they've been told about the current system that continues to fail us. So I said this to my cousin a couple months ago, where he was like, basically asked me the same question, like, how do you know all this stuff? You know, and I was like, look, it all depends on the medium that you get your information from. So like, when you're watching an hour long produced documentary on Netflix with Obama as the narrator, that information is probably a decade old. Mm-hmm. If you're reading white papers by professors, <laughs> that is the most recent up-to-date information that's possible, right? They just finished the research and they're publishing because they want some 
you know, gold star or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. All of the knowledge about Bitcoin is mostly still in white paper form. We haven't even gotten to the hour long documentaries with Obama as the narrator for most of the stuff about Bitcoin. I just, they just put out like one Bitcoin documentary recently, mm -hmm. right? So like, if you, if you want to be the most knowledgeable person, you have to read. If it's on YouTube, you're already late because someone had to read something <laughs> to make that YouTube video. And that's the thing about education. It's like, if you truly want to educate yourself, you have to go to the source. Like, we technically are not the source. We're not. But I would hope that this conversation encourages you for, you know, there's a lot of stuff in Bitcoin. But if something that you're really interested in, keep going until you find yourself reading something that you would be like, I'm not in college. I don't want to read this. And I promise you, that's the information that you actually want. But if you're not there yet and you're just still flirting with Bitcoin... Just keep listening to us. It's that time again for shout outs. But remember, if you're not on Fountain and you want to let us know you're enjoying the pod, go to flirtingwithbitcoin.com support and check out the different ways that you can show some love. Um, but here are some of our Fountain listeners that supported us with over 100 sat boosts uh, for our last episode. So it's Stacking Sats, BTC Photo, Bless Allah 786, In Time BTC, Sal, MacTub 786, Gone Crypto, Rich Rose, I'm the Dude, Contrapliant Dude, Quirkin, Emmanuel Bertalot, Don't Trust Verify, but with no vowels. I think that's how to pronounce your screen name. And Croyo Froyo. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Did you know the Flirting with Bitcoin podcast runs on the value for value business model? So what does that mean? Instead of having to listen to us read the same batch of ads every episode, we're looking to you, our listeners and supporters, to support the show if and when we provide you with something of value. Value can be anything, some new piece of information, a new point of view, or even a good old fashioned belly laugh. When we provide value, we ask that you contribute to the show what you believe the value is worth to you. Hence the term value for value. To learn more about how to support the pod, visit flirtingwithbitcoin.com support. And don't forget to subscribe so we can always keep in touch. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next episode.